Want to get smarter about investing? Then tune in to the Capital Ideas podcast from Capital Group, home of American Funds Distributors, Inc., one of the world's leading asset managers. Learn from portfolio managers with decades of experience by listening to the Capital Ideas podcast today. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. This is Jacob with the uh, Daniel 3 podcast. Thanks for joining us. Uh, today I have uh, my friend Grant with us. Grant, how are you doing? Doing well, Jacob. Doing well. It's good to hear. Uh, uh, Grant uh, is a friend of mine who uh, helped me come up with, uh, I, don't know if, I don't know if we invented the term. I like to think we did, but uh, the term anarcho-Amish, which is, uh, I've, I've, I've contemplated changing my page to that just or creating a new page called anarcho Hamas just for the uh just for the fun of it um but the reason for that being that uh we have very similar views when it comes to uh these topics of of agorism of homesteading um so to start out um i, I wanted to kind of see where you are at um kind of post election post 2020 um you know kind of a kind of a thermometer check uh you know where are you as far as uh your feelings on the political world and if libertarians should continue to think that we should be working in these systems to try to either create positive change to uh make our lives less influenced by the state or if perhaps uh, that's just becoming a total crapshoot, I'm leaning towards it's it's a total crapshoot. <laughs> um, but uh, that's just my opinion. Just curious to hear what your thoughts are. I mean, uh, you know, both on the uh, you know kind of in general the idea of political involvement from the libertarian perspective, and also uh, just kind of where we are at as we. Uh, hopefully close the chapter on 2020 soon. Yeah, that cannot come soon enough. Right. Yeah, it, well, it's kind of odd to start off a podcast about agorism um, where we, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, can the, the, is, is political action a good way to bring about a free society? Um, in a way, it's a bit antithetical, but, you know, I will say that in terms of like the election, um, I'm glad that Americans chose divided government um, because uh, when when we don't have divided government, um, you know, 
one party in charge of the, the executive branch and the legislature, uh, you tend to see higher deficits. You tend to see more indiscriminate spending. You see uh, just things rammed through really um, not through the legislative process, but by executive fiat or um, just the party, the so-called party leadership just insists on it. So I'm happy that Americans chose divided government. It, it looks that way. I know there's a uh, a runoff election in Georgia, um, but I don't think the Democrats will, will, I think the Republicans will win that election. Although there's some weird things I hear about, um, you know, people boycotting that election um, because they're unhappy with the results. Uh, it's kind of weird. But yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I gave a, a talk at, at Anarchon um, about uh, homesteading, and I mentioned agorism, but I also man mentioned how uh, political action, especially at the local level, um, can can be very uh, meaningful, and, and it should be the most impactful. I mean, the national races, they're not always the least important, but they ought to be the least important in our lives. And um, I gave the example of uh, an ordinance in our municipality. Uh, they wanted, it was an animal ordinance. And in order to keep animals, you had to have at least five acres or something like that. And um, the community came together and it was struck down. And so that's that would be something that would affect me much more, um, probably even more than tax policy. And, uh, you know, that was at the local level. And so, you know, local is better, um, whether, you know, it's politics or or food or, uh, you know, growing local food or handicrafts or whatever. I, I made that mention of that in my, my talk. Um, and, and that's how it should be. So it, it's worth it keeping one leg in the political arena, even for the most black flag anarchists. There's, uh, there's definitely reason um, to be involved as, as, a, as a strategic, as a, as a tactical uh, choice to advance liberty. Sure. And and the reason, sure, it is a little weird to start a video on agorism out with <laughs> politics. And then the reason I do that is I'm trying to kind of set the stage because, you know, I mean, we have basically four options, it seems to me, in front of us. Uh, mm -hmm. One option is just to live uh, apathetically in the world and be like, well, I have these principles, but I'm not going to do anything about them or, or you know, make any uh, meaningful support of other people, you know, trying to do something about them. Uh, and that to me is off the table as a bad option. Then when it comes to like, well, all right, I have these principles and I want to do something about, uh, you know, these principles are inspiring me to action. Uh, we're then, we're then left with kind of like a, uh, an equation, a calculation we have to make as to the available options in front of us and the, the three available actions. I mean, or groups of actions are political action, uh, revolution, like, you know, civil war, or the third option, which is what this video is going to be about, which is, you know, agorism, which is sort of like this interesting, uh, a third, a third road, as it were, as it were, towards resisting the state, towards advancing liberty. And it, it, it's weird because agorism is, is both considered a, a philosophy, but also just considered a strategy. It's kind of this weird co-mingling of both. Um, 
But but yeah, the reason I, I bring up politics just briefly at the beginning, I don't want to make this thing a whole lot about politics, but it's just to sort of contrast that to see, you know, and it's interesting how, uh, you know, you're bringing up how there is some utility to politics, but it's really only at the local level. And I mean, would it be fair to say that the only utility that's there is probably, you know, somewhat as a defensive uh, bulwark, uh, as it were, that you can use the local politic to sort of uh, maybe ward off some of the more tyrannical aspects of the federal and, and state governments? Or what was what would you th- say is the, uh, the, the most beneficial uh, uh, aspect to using the political systems, at least when it comes to the, the, the localized ones, because we, we would probably agree that, you know, the only point to the federal one, I mean, it's just basically a popularity contest between the duopoly parties who don't have enough differences to make, uh, to make me care. And the libertarian party candidate is really only there to secure ballot access for the, uh, for the state and local candidates. So, I mean, what's, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I, I, I mostly, I focused on the local level elections or local politics because it, um, I, like I said, it most directly affects me, but I also, that was in the context of homesteading. So, you know, if you choose to live in an HOA, uh, more power to you. There's nothing, I don't want to say there's nothing unlibertarian about that. I mean, it should be allowed in a free society and those types of arrangements will exist. But I'm kind of baffled by it because it's essentially government a la carte. It's, you know, I I want more government and there might be practical reason for that. Like, um, uh, you know, I, I think it'll help land values and this, my house is my main investment and, and I want to live in this community. I, I want to live in a gated community and, um, you know, that uh, I want my neighbors to, to you know, you talk about, uh, um, um, you know, covenant communities or intentional communities. Nothing unlibertarian about it, ex- you know, but maybe the spirit of libertarianism of, you know, oh, they're going to yell at me because I have a, a boat in my driveway or something like that. I mean, for that, that is not for me. Um, I'm, and I'm not saying that that shouldn't be the case for all libertarians, but probably the kind of libertarians I hang out with. Uh, so I, I look at local politics as the, the biggest thing that's going to let me, um, you know, respect property rights, um, and, uh, let me do what I want with my property or, you know, oh, you need a variance for, you know, this fence or this outbuilding or, or, you know, you can't, you can't grow this crop here. You can't, you can't grow marijuana. You can't sell raw milk. And some of those things creep up to the the state level and federal level, but um, the the way that land is used or the way that I can utilize my land is is mostly determined at the at the local level, and that's why I think uh, things like the Libertarian Party should be more effective at that level. But then at the same time, you know. Um, Samuel Konkin, the the agorist, really the guy that came up with the theory of agorism, he called that the partyarchy and and didn't have anything good to say about any, um, you know, political. I guess the second option that you detailed that a a, a calculated and that's a really I, I've never 
seen it presented that way and, and just kind of the um those four categories i think um we could we could talk about those all and i mean you could probably dedicate a a podcast to each one of those ideas but um i, I could but i'm 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 rather I'm, I'm i'm at the point where i'm rather unconvinced of at least <laughs> three of them i mean if i was going to put them in a hierarchy uh, the bottom is apathy because I'm just not a person that likes to sit around and do nothing. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, but above, I mean, above that would be violent revolution because I mean, I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of big igloos, but at the same time, like they're a last resort, <laughs> in my opinion. And then, uh, oh, Bob, what was he here? Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> Hawaiian shirts, big igloos. Uh, it's funny contrast. Well, I, I I I think just just to my thoughts on on the apathy, the the writings of Max Stirner come to mind, and just kind of uh, government is a spook. Um, you know, these are all social constructs, and uh, I'm just going to live my life. Uh, it's dangerous. Uh, it's it's dangerous. I mean that okay, that might work for a time. Um, but at the, but at you know at the same time that that's not that totally far off from agorism. Um, no, it's not. There's a, there there is. It's easier to convince someone who's apathetic of this of of these things to probably move in, in into agorism than it would be to to motivate them to bear arms against the state or to get involved politically. So that's that that's a fair point. Um, well, we've been beating around the bush here. Let's let's get into the nitty gritty of it then. Um, what is agorism? Like if, if you were trying to give, I know we've talked about this before, but um, just for those who are uh, just watching this video and haven't seen our other conversation, uh, how would you define agorism to someone who's uh, hearing that for the first time? The simplest um, definition of agorism is, first of all, I, I you, you kind of prefaced it. You said it's, it's a, it's a um, a philosophy, but it's also a methodology or or praxis. Um, it, so it, you know, the end goal is libertarianism, and the praxis, the means of getting there, one way of doing it is agorism. So essentially, agorism is the marriage of libertarian ideas on one hand and counter economics on another. That's the simplest definition of it. Yeah, counter economics. That's that's a very uh, good way to describe it. Um, the way I've always tried to, uh, and that's a good like definition, uh, is to is to talk about like the, it's a it's a counter economics. It's engaging in the gray and the black markets. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, we stay away from the red market because that either means bad things or communism or both. <laughs> but um, the uh, the, the black and the gray markets are where the agorist thrives. And I, I've often put agorism in terms of it's using free market economics almost and trying to basically outcompete the state through markets. Basically saying, you know, if you try to take the state head on with, with your guns, I mean, sure, there have been revolutions in the past that have worked, but as far as those revolutions leading to a more peaceful or free society, 
we have a pretty mixed bag. Probably the best example we have of a revolution leading to a more free society would be here in America. But the long-term projections of that experiment are so far, you know, mixed. Uh, There's, there's, I guess, some good and some bad there. Um, but I'm I'm a little pessimistic towards it. Um, maybe not the revolution itself, but just, you know, what came after it. Because you always end up with, you know, at the end, there's a winning side and the winning side has power. And just men who wield power tend to, you know, make decisions that are more influenced towards their interests than, uh, you know, the, the liberties and freedoms of everybody else. Uh, and but then you look at Europe and uh both western and eastern europe and the revolutions that took place there you know they went far worse um so yeah that that to me just seems like a you know i mean listen if if the state hits a point of tyranny where you know uh, we have to go there like i mean uh, i'm not axiomatically against it i just you know that's a low preference for me um political action you know i mean our group of people here in our local area i mean you know they're more of that mindset it's never been my thing although i've tried to to experiment with it and to try it out um went to a pa libertarian state convention asked myself what the hell am i doing you're hurting cats (laughs) you're hurting cats is what you're doing Yeah. yeah but um you know it just it just seems to me that like the I, I think the only utility to well, there's there's two things with, with the political action, just to tie that bow in a knot for this mm-hmm. video, is it's, it's either you're trying to reach people with a platform, or you're trying to use some kind of local power defensively. Uh, everything else to me, if you are trying to engage in politics, thinking that you're going to bring about the end of the state, or you're going to actually incrementally reduce the state over time uh, to me that just seems naive it's, it seems logically naive and it's not supported by evidence um so that's where i where i end there but but agorism is is a very appealing option the more and more i look into it and that's why i wanted to make this video uh because you know to me i really think that the liberty movement has to start thinking about what is the most effective use of our time. Um, you know, I mean, uh, I did a video a, a month or ago, a month ago on, you know, praxeology and human action. And, uh, you know, we have, we act based upon the goals that we have, of course, that was, you know, what, what Mises was talking about in his, uh, theory of human action. And we, we want to get to a better, a better place. We want to, you know, move in a good direction, but we we have scarce resources. Mm-hmm. We have scarce, and that's not just material, that's time and, and energy. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm motivated to want to do what is, you know, going to produce the best results and also what is the best use of our time. Um, and to me, politics just doesn't seem to be that, but warmongering doesn't seem to, you know, be, be that. I mean, not warmongering might not be the right, right word, but, um, that's typically used to describe statists and stuff who are trying to go around and 
turn deserts into glass. So, but anyway, um, little tangent. Uh, but yeah, agorism to me is, it's like a more libertarian way to be libertarian. It's like rejecting, uh, rejecting violence and coercion as the means by which we try to bring liberty. And it's not that I think, now some anarchists go to this place where they view anyone who uses defensive force, uh, in political action as immoral or not, or like they're not a real anarchist, you know, the SpongeBob meme where he's like the lowercase and then uppercase letters. It's, um, you know, and, and I don't go there. It's like, if your goal is to try to bring it to an end of the state, then, you know, I wish you well in what you're doing, but uh, yeah, I just don't think that, uh, those methods are going to work. And I think they're not as consistent with libertarian ideology as agorism is because if you're trying to use state uh, mechanisms against the state, I'm not saying that can't be done in limited utility, but that can't be all we're doing, you know, and if you want to say there's a division of labor, some libertarians will do that. And some libertarians will engage in other means. Well, that's fine. I mean, everyone has different gifts and stuff, but um to me, agorism is something that everybody can do regardless of what, what else they do. Like, it's not like a, it doesn't have to be a pick and choose thing. So I don't want this video to be like, you know, it's, it's agorism or bust. And you, you know, it's like, listen, if, if you still feel like you want to go out there and support your local LP or do whatever, I'm not trying to condemn you or trying to criticize you, but. Oh, and I still do. Yeah. I and, really still yeah, do. It, 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 I don't, I don't want to make this a, a, ultimatum kind of video i'm just trying to say let's try to live our let's try to go a little bit further than just uh every two years going to the booths and the, the voting booths and you know checking off the right boxes to try to bring our principles into reality i think agorism is is a philosophy and a lifestyle that if more people started to adopt and live by uh we could start to see more more radical change uh towards a more uh libertarian society um so in that uh light i mean you brought it up a little bit but um the uh what's his name again uh conkin the guy who founded agorism um what would you say um motivated him as far as his libertarian persuasions as far as you know i mean people identify him as like a a left anarchist um but he talks about using markets and stuff i mean was you know is is agorism something where it's you know he when he talks about it is it uh is it is it is it mutualist is it is it specifically left anarchist or is it just kind of a generic anarchist or libertarian philosophy that he that he pushes well i mean i mean that that's a whole you the last time we we talked you 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 brought up like what is left libertarianism versus right libertarianism are those are those the right ways to think about things and um the more and more that i do research um like Murray Rothbard, who most like, it's interesting, like when you say internationally, if you say you're libertarian, 
most people think that you, you, you're referring to left libertarianism, right libertarianism. Again, I'm using these, these clunky, inadequate words. It's almost unique to, um, the United States, the LP, um, you know, that, that sort of uh, school of thought. But Rothbard said that libertarianism in of itself is, it, it, it's a it's a left philosophy. Um, you know, if you look at the origins of the word left and right, it refers to um, where where people sat in the French legislature in the 19th right. century. Yeah. And, um, you know, two very prominent libertarian thinkers, uh, they are Pierre Proudhon, which most right libertarians, most um, U.S. libertarians would find a lot of fault with, really the father of um, mutualism, uh, and Frederic Bastiat, who is quintessential in, in classical liberalism and right libertarian centers. They both sat on the left. Um, and some other things that I've heard about the subject is that, you know, the the right refers to the the monarchists, the ancien regime uh they refer to that preserving tradition um and uh not necessarily autocracy but i don't want to i don't want to say a democracy or like anti-democratic because that that's really immaterial to this discussion um but you know you look at kaiser um Kaiser Wilhelm, or you look at Kaiser, um, Otto von Bismarck, okay, total socialist, total socialist, um, you know, the state will take care of you, the state will educate you, all of these populist, free stuff, totally socialist, but no one would say he was left, you know, no one, no one, so the oh, origins, yeah. of, the origins of socialism Again, it's not useful to 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 converse with your friends in this regard, but I, there's there's a good evidence to suggest that libertarianism is a left wing ideology, and I know I, I, a lot I, of people would not identify with it. They would not identify with that. But uh, I've been I've had a, some more conversations since we talked, and I've begun to think in that same way. Like I had a conversation with a guy named Joe. Uh, Hartman, I believe was his name. He was uh, running in the state of, God, what state was it? Uh, Idaho, I think, or yeah, I think it was Idaho. He was running at the local level with the, the Mises caucus support. But um, but yeah, we were having a conversation. Yeah, he, he brought up the same thing, that libertarianism is kind of fundamentally more of a left-wing uh philosophy when you look at it from like what traditionally left-wing and right-wing meant bringing up just like you did where, where those terms came from which was like um the, the french uh, uh parliament i guess where like the the left side was opposing the king and the right one was uh in, in favor of it um and, and libertarianism does you know it's it, it's funny it's it is more left-wing in that in that sense um and at the same time, uh, a lot of us can get labeled as right wing, at least a lot of the uh, libertarians that I associate with, you know, 
the coming out of the Austrian Rothbard uh, tradition or Ron or the Ron Paul tradition, um, because we talk a lot about free market economics and you know we are as far from the socialist side of economics as you can get. Um, so it's it, it's funny. It's like the the the, the whole four quadrant political grid is broken as far as i'm concerned every time oh, but I take, every time i take one of those tests it it puts me like pretty much close to the center which is just funny because it's like i feel like i'm as anti-center as someone they're not i mean i'm sure there's people more radical than me but as far as like not being crazy uh i'm as far from the center as as you can be but it's just because people view these these uh these topics in the these like black and white ways where it's just like well you're either left or right capitalism socialism you're authoritarian or libertarian um but i think that oversimplifies matters um i think i think agorism even though it might be rooted in you know the, the people who who founded that uh and push, first pushed it might have came from more uh, of like a socialist or mutualist mindset. Uh, I don't think that that really matters because, uh, at the end of the day, whether they would agree with this or not, if they were here to like defend themselves or to hear what I'm saying, I feel like it is more of a capitalist, free market capitalist or economic, uh, philosophy in terms of it is based upon this idea of, you know, you know, competition in the free market and voluntary transactions um you know and about the only the only thing that they might be wary of is just you know which we'll get into here in a bit is just when it comes to like property you know what their theory of property rights is and homesteading and uh and then also the the relationship between employers and employees and, and whatnot they might be you know, concerned about that, but ultimately, uh, even though it might be a a left, people have to stop thinking. I think that left libertarian or left anarchist has to be tied to uh, socialism. I don't think it it needs to be. I think that socialism is just its own thing entirely, and it might be attractive to some left anarchists, but uh, you know, to me, that's neither here nor there. It's just they're they're completely separate entirely um what would be some uh so let's come up with some examples like uh of ways you can like what, what agorism looks like as far as you know everyday life what are some things you can do that would fall under the umbrella of of agorism because that can help to for because i mean we can try to define it but i think that showing it you know, as far as like explaining it in examples might help people to understand it better. This idea of engaging in the gray and black markets and, and kind of competing against the state. So like, what are some examples that, that you would think would be good ones to, to discuss? Well, I think it's important to, to say what it's not. So just to say that agorism is black markets is not, um, you know, it's, it's not, it, it misses some things. So like a gangster hiring a hitman to kill someone um, that, again, if agorism is the marriage of 
counter-economics, i.e. black markets, um, with, then that's just an example, uh, with libertarian thought, well, you know, an act of aggression um, that's not in self-defense uh, breaks the non-aggression principle, and that's not agorism. Um, someone who uh, traffics, uh, you know, engages in sex trafficking or or sex with minors, um, that is that is not agorism. Um, is it a black market? Well, sure, there's black markets for those things, but that doesn't that's not that's not within the school of thought. That's that's antithetical to it. Um, but like the simplest thing is just you know, it's it's amazing how I'll start with the simplest thing. You buy something off of Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist, and you don't pay sales tax. Okay, it, technically, uh, yeah, that um, that's a form of counter-economics in some way that the state doesn't get their cut, and um, you know you found a way around the state there um, with har- like a homesteading, um, harvesting your own uh, resources, and circumventing um, you know gas tax or something like that. Uh, you know, that is, that's a, that's a, a weak form of it. Um, some stronger examples have certainly been born out of the COVID crisis and um, the lockdowns. Um, people that, that do business despite government edicts. Um, I don't know, as the state gets bigger, obviously the black markets get bigger. Obviously the counter economy grows. And you saw that in the Soviet Union, there was a whole, uh, a whole word to describe it. It was called blot in the Soviet bloc countries. Um, in in uh, Cuba, it was called uh, socialismo, and uh, you know just the uh, informer, informal barter and underground markets used to um, acquire goods and services that were that the state didn't want the people to get their hands on. Um, those are all examples, and it and it. It can certainly ratchet up from there in terms of, um, you know, cryptocurrency. Uh, you know, that's that's practically one of the legs of the stool of the of the the, the counter economy. Um, you know, paying people under the table. I mean, you see that, like, you know, hi, I'll do this job for five dollars. Hi, I'll hire you to do this job for five dollars an hour. Okay. And then there's someone screeching in the background that, oh, how dare you, you know, you're taking our jobs or you're oppressing this person. Yeah. I, I, I love that. The I'll work for $5 an hour. Autistic screeching leftist <laughs> comes in like, no, you got to pay him seven fifty an hour or he can't work. It's like, well, I guess he can't work. No, but that's you know, not. Unbeliever goes, thank you. No, I don't have a job at all. <laughs> it's, it's like, not just oh, it's not no. just it's not just leftists i mean you know true, someone, true. someone comes to this country um and they can earn a hundred times more than they earn in their in their their country of origin well, you wouldn't cross that border and right. provide for your family better and so they're screeching that those people are going to take those jobs even though you know it means lower paced lower priced goods and services for for everyone Right, right, exactly. So it's, um, 
Right. And, and and it's good to make that distinction. That's kind of why I was I was saying black and gray markets. And agorism is probably more gray market than than black market, but it just depends on I guess how you define things. I mean, some people would say anything in the black market is immoral and illegal, and the gray market is just illegal. But you know, I'm trying not to be too pedantic here. I guess there could be some things in the black market that might be like frowned upon in some sense, but maybe not like acts of aggression. So they'd be like black market, not quite gray market. I don't know. But um but yeah, it's it's you know, doing doing things that uh aren't hurting anybody, but you're just doing them outside of the state approved avenues that involve either submitting to state uh regulation or oversight or uh paying the piper to to the state uh tax collectors um yeah paying people under the table or uh you know using uh various cryptocurrencies or you know barterings a, a more you know, pretty common common example i mean you know i know i do that a lot in my line of work you know if i have to do a job for someone in business and i know that they their business is something that i would you know likely pay uh uh, patronage in the future, then I'll be like, hey, uh, you know, we'll just, I'll, I'll do the work for you. And it, this is approximately how much uh, this would cost. But, you know, instead of charging you, let's come up with a trade and uh, that that works out. Um, you know, but bartering is not always the most efficient means of uh, trade, but it, it can be, uh, it can be useful. And I think that although currencies were invented to make trade easier, um, when we have our currency monopolized by the state and then the currency is not even backed by anything material, um, you know, obviously there are problems that go along with that. Bartering is a good way to avoid having to submit to those things. And uh, <clears throat> that's one of the more, like when I first heard of agorism, that was one of the more common examples that was given, you know, it was like, you know, people in local communities could do work for each other. And, you know, this was probably before cryptocurrency was invented. People didn't know how they would do things without using government-issued currency or using gold. Um, and, and gold's not always the easiest thing to come about and trade. Um, so people would talk about bartering. But yeah, cryptocurrency definitely adds a whole new layer to this where people can still do things in, in these transactional methods that are very similar to what they would do already, but they're just using a different currency that doesn't come with all the same uh, strings attached mm. um, if they're if they're doing it correctly. Um, so, uh, you know, now I think I think one of the things like you brought up this criticism last time that um, you know one of the downsides to the the black market um is well if you're going to barter it's very hard to build wealth but also it's hard to ensure and ensure your investments or your infrastructure or your business um if it's not if it's not operating out in the the legal market i mean it and it you kind of have that problem now with um uh marijuana in terms that it's illegal at the federal level so you have these dispensaries and and um 
you know, businesses that are just operating in cash. Uh, you know, the, the banks don't want to touch it. Right. So that that is certainly um, a, a downside to it. And that, that's probably one of the biggest challenges that it faces. True. But, I mean, we, we have to, you know, again, like the calculation, uh, maybe in the short term, it is riskier to operate in the black and gray markets than to operate in the status controlled, you know, free markets. <laughs> to as they're called um but in the long term if you are completely dependent upon the state controlled markets and the state controlled markets collapse or morph into something that puts you out of business for other reasons then doesn't you know it doesn't matter whether the the banks and insurance companies would help you out you know if the long if, the, if in the long term uh you know there's there's risk there uh, there's risk no matter what you do, and and it's not wrong to want to mitigate risk. And I'm not telling anybody that to embrace libertarianism or agorism, you should go out there and and throw caution to the wind. But you know, baby steps. Start with what is easy and and what you can do now, and you know, just look for little ways over time, and and just you know, like a snowball, just keep building that up. Uh, the more you can. The more you can engage in commerce and trade with people without having the third party be privy to it, the more it can just be the the voluntary transactions between you and the other person, uh, the better. But it doesn't even need to be a transaction between other people. I mean, agorism can just be, you know, being more self-sufficient and, you know, uh, and this is where homesteading comes comes into it. Um, because, you know, another thing that is going on in the libertarian world right now, actually it's going on pretty much everywhere of people of every political persuasion, persuasion, just because of the, the year that 2020 was, uh, but people are, are very much, especially in the libertarian world, they've been this way for a lot longer in the prepping mindset mm. and, you know, food, ammo and all that, but where sometimes prepping uh, where, where the where the prepper falls short is like they they think about well oh cool cool I can survive for six months or a year or two years with all the supplies I have here at my house I'm like okay but like are you planning to die after that or do you want to keep living after your supplies run out like you need to not just prepare for like you know turmoil that can happen because of uh you know what's going on locally or geopolitically but also uh, you need to be able to to prepare for, you know, living your life if, you know, the state does one day collapse or if, or if things drastically change. I mean, I, I'm not, I haven't researched this probably as much as I should. You know, I mean, there's a lot of talk right now about the Great Reset. And that used to be kind of like something you could laugh at because only people like Alex Jones were talking about it. But you know, now I actually saw the other day that like that it's an idea that actual politicians are talking about, maybe not in the like as as uh, dystopian as like it's been talked about by, you know, people like Alex Jones for years. But it's, it's you know, the idea of a great re reset of some sort is becoming more mainstream post-COVID. Um, Justin Trudeau is who I'm re referencing. He was 
in a speech just last week saying that we have an opportunity basically because of this to push for a great reset uh, to wipe people's debts clean and to start over and to build a new system that's more equitable and 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 sociable for everybody. So, you know, of course, the internet went crazy when he used the term "great reset." You know, that, that everyone's uh, red flags went up. Uh, but yeah, if if something like that happened, whatever level of dystopian a great reset could look like. Uh, if you don't want to be having to live under that, you're going to have to start thinking now about how you will live outside of those systems. And whether that means staying where you're at or moving somewhere else, you have to have a game plan. So uh, this gets into, I think, kind of part of what your speech was about at at, uh, at Anarchon this past year, uh, which was called um, what was it? Home Shedding Versus Prepping. That was the, the name of the speech. So a, liber- a libertarian uh, primer, yeah. That was right. It. So what 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 would you say? Um, well, so yeah, good. So let's get into that. What was the uh, what was the main point you were trying to drive home with that speech? Um, you know, in kind of reference of how it relates to uh, agorism as well. Um. Well, basically, I wanted to compare and contrast homesteading and prepping and they're related and they're how they're related to libertarian thought and mostly why i began it by saying why does the state why is the state um why do they antagonize preppers and homesteaders and for preppers i mean it's like it's kind of a big fu to the to the state implicit it's saying uh, I don't think the central banks, I don't think, you know, FEMA, you know, disaster relief, um, you know, these stimulus handouts, uh, you know, this this broken government, I don't think this is sustainable. And so I'm preparing for the worst. And so it's it's a slap in the face of the government. That's that's why they're I mean, why would we ever fail you? I mean, we we protect you and clothe you and house you and and educate your kids you know why would you ever doubt us so that's kind of obvious and then homesteading um you know a lot of it comes down to property rights uh in terms of well i mean you can't you can't keep a horse at your house you can't raise chickens i mean my friend uh chad desantis who's you know huge in the, you know, big L libertarian politics. He's in the LP. You know, one of the, one of the first times I heard him speak, um, he was like, look for people that keep chickens and you'll find libertarians. And, you know, here I am, you know, I've got 12 chickens or 13. I don't know. It's called chicken math because you can never really keep track of how many you have. Um, you know, of course, the the states, mostly local governments, have issue with this. For a long time, um, well, and then there, there, there's the concept of homesteading, which which factors into it, and that's um, the homesteading principle, which is articulated by uh, Rothbard and Ayn Rand, and um, uh, who else? Uh, even Hans Hermann Hoppe, uh, Triple H, talks about it. Uh, that is mixing 
mixing labor with the land. And then uh, we're, we're talking about um, unoccupied or abandoned property. And then you mix your labor with it, which we have a lot of discussions about what constitutes mixing your labor. I cleared the field. I built a house. I, you know, took a dug a cat hole and took a leak. I don't know what constitutes. It, that's open to debate. Um, there's that form of homesteading. And the government, um, the, the U.S. government around the time of the Civil War, which, you know, one of the 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 few perhaps libertarian pieces of, of legislation that came out of that, aside from freeing the slaves, um, was the Homestead Act, which was like six pages long and it filled up half the continent. Anyone could apply for, I think, 150 acres and they would work the land and after five years it would become theirs and it filled up half a continent. Um, and it was replaced by none other than the Bureau of Land Management, or BLM. So um, despite what you've been told, BLM is a terrorist a terrorist organization. So. I remember you said that, I think, in the chat a while back, the uh, <laughs> BLM, the terrorist group. <laughs> this is funny. Um, yeah, so the, uh, uh, yeah, the homesteading uh Part of this, I mean, there's there's two parts to, to homesteading. I guess there's the actual act of like, how do you make land yours, and mm -hmm. then B, what you do with that land once you have it to make it, you know, work for you as best as possible to provide for for your needs. And um, and yeah, there's two two interesting aspects of that, and we should touch on both of them. Um, you know, this is where the classic uh, debate. I, I've I've done this debate so many times, but uh, with with uh, with our Georgist friends um, of what what constitute like what actions constitute legitimate claims to land. Um, I mean, actually, that's not even the debate. The Georgist just says you can't own land because it's immoral because it's an act of aggression, um, but if you can get them off of that for a second, then they just endlessly move the goalposts because you they try to ask, well, how can you legitimately own land? What actions can give you ownership of it that isn't, you know, just you constructing a, you know, 10-foot fence mounted with automated turrets that shoot anybody that <laughs> dare to try to yeah. climb over the border? That's, that, that's basically what Georgists think owning land is it's like you're you're they they say especially the the anarchist georgists is they think that there's no difference what? between yeah uh, the, the, the the anarchist georgists have legitimately said to me that well, that's a contradiction what uh, the whole thing is mean? land value what yeah well no yeah no i've had anarchist georgists tell me that lvt would exist in a anarchist society that it's just something that people would do because it would it would people would work that out through the market via their insurance companies, DROs, and incorporated cities, and they're saying that private land ownership makes you a state. Is their argument that if you if you if you own land, you are acting as a state in wow. your land? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Chew chew on that for a little bit. 
Wait, well, I mean, I mean, but the, the, the problem, the problem is, it's like I see where they're coming from, except that the difference is, like, if I invite you onto my land, I have the right to evict you. I don't have the right to hold you permanently hostage and steal half of the uh, products of your labor for the rest of your life. Like, I don't, I don't have the right to enslave you just because you came onto my land. Like, I have the right to evict you, and I have the right to defend myself on my land if you invade it. But uh, the state claims a right to basically take your wealth and to hold you hostage like you can't leave. Uh, a landowner can't do that in a libertarian sense. I mean, like, they so what, can in a, they can in a, like, they could, but no one would, no, no serious libertarian would say property rights under a libertarian model, you know, that they're justified in doing that. So, so what, why are they, why, what makes them anarchists? I mean, are they just paying this land value tax and they're just burning the money or like, what is it? Well, they say they're, they're true anarchists because they, they oppose, uh, to them, it's not about opposing the state. They they take the no rulers thing to a very radical extreme, where basically uh, it's the it's the dangerous side of the left anarchist kind of like mindset. Like we talked before about how like there's uh, one of the two ways you can describe. Uh, the left-right divide in libertarian, the libertarian world is that like there are those who care about their like economic freedoms and care about like property rights and kind of like you know breaking down the, the nuances of like the, the non-aggression principle and all that. And then you have kind of the more the, the left and our libertarian thought, which would be more like the oppressor versus oppressing narrative, which I do find to be more compelling, but if taken too far or like if it's if it's if you have that and you have that built upon some really weird uh presuppositions it can take you to some weird places and this is an example of one of them where the uh some of the left anarchists and libertarians basically think that any kind of hierarchy where someone has advantages or resources or like economic freedoms that you don't have that you are being oppressed and that you are less free um uh, which which that, to that, me is 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 not correct yeah um, rothbard does a good um yeah. equality as a, a revolt against nature i mean right. resources are not in nature they're not distributed evenly um so it's kind of just the reality that we're in i i find it interesting that these self-proclaimed anarch georgist anarchists i mean if they're talking about no rulers i don't know who they're paying the land the land value tax to it's just, they, they I, don't know who they're paying the land value tax to yeah. trust me i've asked them okay I mean, I mean at least at least the like the georgists who just want a state just come out and say yeah i'm a an anarchist and i want a state that does you know courts and defense and land value tax and and, and, and it's like you know that's respectable then you have the georgists that want to pretend to be anarchists and i'm like okay yeah. but i mean now listen i mean lvt could be you know they'll say if you have an incorporated city and they have a like a it's kind of like a an hoa like yeah. you know whatever like it's similar enough and if you want to go found you know you want to go 
make a commune called, you know, uh, New Georgia or whatever. New, New George, George, I, I can't think of a good. There's Ancapistan. I can't come up with a Georgistan. You want to go? You want to go build Georgistan and have a a fee for living there and call it land value tax? You're not forcing people to live there or holding them hostage. Then you know whatever. Go do you. But um, you know. That to me, that's a little, that's, that's really stretching the idea. But some of them say that it wouldn't just be private communities that would have it. They say that like anyone who claims land and doesn't try to pay back to society what they've taken. Cause when you take from, when you take land and own it, you're taking from society. I'm like, yeah. Because because land because like because land's a scarce resource and like everything's a scarce resource yeah like uh, everything I mean we can't view people taking resources without violence as you know they're like well this is what it comes down to the threat of aggression used to defend what's yours is not initiating aggression and, right. and that's where sometimes left libertarians get confused is that they view people who protect their property rights as initiating aggression. Like, no, they're not initiating aggression. They're just enforcing, you know, the claim of what's theirs if someone tries to take it. Yeah. And that, that, that is part of mutualist thought, um, which, which, which it's a different, I mean, it, that's Prudhon, you know, it, most of Prudhon's ramblings are just, Properties theft, properties theft, properties theft, and you know, if you if you have, I, I think, you know, like with anarcho syndicalism, ultimately at the end of the day, you're going to have something resembling a state, and it's going to be um, a repressive uh, authoritarian state at the end of the day. Um, you just you can't eliminate uh, all coercion. What you want to do is eliminate the monopoly of of coercion and initiating aggression, which is the state. There's always going to be something that is enacting some kind of civil justice or or civil governance that is like enforcing property rights and dealing with those who initiate violence against other people. Oh yeah, there's always yeah. going to be rules. I mean, yeah. anarchists are not anti. First of all, anarchists are not just they want chaos. They're not the Joker. Um, they, there, there's going to be laws. And another way of thinking of government is, um, just conflict resolution. Right. So under, under Samuel Conkin's idea of agorism, um, what you, I, I forget the term for it. It's just kind of like a mutual agreement that, you know, two parties enter into an agreement and then they have a list of third party arbiters that they deem that are acceptable. It's not, well, we live in this jurisdiction, so, you know, we're stuck with the U.S. court system or we're stuck with the Canadians, you know, why tether, why, why does it need to be tethered to borders? Um, that's so stupid and arbitrary to right. me. And, and tethered, it's tethered to borders that are arbitrary. It's like, I mean, you know, there will be borders within the market, but there are borders that the market dictate, dictates, right. which are based upon voluntary transactions whereas the problem with borders in the statist sense is that these are just arbitrary lines decided upon by 
politicians, not by any kind of market force. Um, so, uh, yeah, so homesteading, to get back off the tangent of, yeah, anytime you bring Georges in, you, you, you have we, to have a We promised not to go there, but we did. <laughs> um, the, uh, yeah, so the homestead, uh, you know, to me, this doesn't seem complicated. I think every society that's ever, ever existed has, you know, kind of had a generic uh, understanding that, like, what's yours is, your, is yours and what's mine is mine. And people have been, for thousands of years, going back through history, you know, able, have been able to work that out. You know, to work out what you know, where does the boundaries of my property end and where does yours begin? And and people work that out. People generally work that stuff out peaceably because you know, for the most part, people prefer peaceful solutions to violent solutions. There are some people out there that are, you know, maybe more uh oriented towards violence, but they generally get ostracized very quickly and generally end up having to play by the rules. Even if they can come up, you know, they might make threats and they might be hot tempered, but generally the, the society through the market forces and through just like social pressure keeps people in check. Because if you just go around and, you know, acting, you know, aggressively anytime there is some kind of like little dispute or something that needs to be worked out, it's just not going to go well for you. People don't like to deal with people who are like that people tend towards peaceful solutions when when the, when they are allowed you know if when the when the state gives you no other recourse but to use violence that's one thing but when the state isn't restricting options you know the market bears these things out so you know to me that's the simple answer when people are confused about how homesteading would work in a libertarian sense uh you know and, and this is where there can be some i understand why people might want to be involved in the local political realm because they might be trying to at least like in areas where there might be land that could be more easily homesteaded but the state is putting up barriers to entry it's like you don't want to be an agorist who ends up in jail <laughs> who just decides like well i'm just going to go and take this land and make it my own and then uh and then the uh the uh, the the original BLM comes and uh, tells you what's for. So you know the easier it is to acquire land, the better. Um, you don't need the state to do that, but while the state exists, you might have to play by their rules to out of self-preservation. But once you have the land, you know what should libertarians be doing in keeping with this mindset of agorism and and also kind of like bringing pushing prepping the prepping mentality to not just be let me hoard a bunch of crap for when shit hits the fan but about like let me try to build my life in a way that can sustain me through a while the state exists and i have to operate in and i and i would prefer to operate either self-sufficiently or in these gray markets and then also that can sustain me post-state if we ever get to that um it's interesting because um you know we we can break it down by the like the left libertarian right libertarian paradigm but um 
uh, Jeffrey Tucker, who sometimes writes for the uh, writes for Mises and um, uh, the um, Fee um, Foundation for Economic Education, uh, he 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 breaks the dichotomy into um, brutalists and humanitarians. And the, brut the brutalists are the kind of, I mean, there's a place for this. And, you know, just because you advocate property rights does not make you a brutalist. But it's just, um, you know, I, I push liberty because, uh, you know, I can discriminate against people. And, you know, I don't want people of color in my restaurant or I don't want, um, you know, immigrants here. Uh, you know, I want to say these terrible things about this group of people. I mean, that those terrible things they say that might be protected by free speech, and that is liberty, but that's the ugly side of it. Not all libertarians are good people, whereas the humanitarians um, want to see they they see that the, the potentials that are unlocked when the, the government removes barriers to free markets, um, they see the the synergy and the mixing of new ideas when you have, um, you know, diverse immigrants coming into an area um, or, um, you know, open borders and, and free trade and um, the freedom of association. And that's beautiful. Um, so there are, I mean, both are, both, both pertain to liberty. Both are libertarian in a sense, but, um, Libertarians should be using their their um, property, their resources. I mean, first of all, I can't tell you. I mean, the the market will dictate how you should use your property, but it should be using it should be used to build up um, the community, uh, so you can provide for yourself um, and and be self sustaining. Uh, prepping gets very expensive, and I'm this is I am not saying do not prep. Uh, you know, don't uh, get the means to defend yourself. I'm not saying that, but there's very little aesthetic to that. I mean, okay, yeah, you you have enough food to survive six months. Now what? Do you have a business in place? Do you can you sustain that? I mean, are you done? Is it was it just to survive six months after the you know society crumbled? There's there's no point to that. There needs to be an aesthetic, and um, whether it's making a small business or being able to provide uh, supplement your food, or using alternative power systems or permaculture or, or whatever, handicrafts. I mean that that I'm more attracted to that than just old school building a bunker prepping. Although it is cool, I'm not gonna lie. Right. One of the things that comes to mind when I think about this is <clears throat> excuse me um if you live in an so some people are going to be like like you to an extent where they're going to want to go get a, a nice parcel of land be as self-sufficient as they can some people will go even further and say i actually just want to be a full-time farmer and you know grow a bunch of food and crops and stuff um and and like we need that like if that's you go out and do that like you know that's that that is all well and good not everybody can do that maybe from like a skill point you know like they've not their skill uh set um they're not physically able to 
uh, or they just they don't have the desire to. They don't live in an area that's uh, very uh, well equipped or or uh, compatible with with that those options. So what I tell to people in, in those positions, and I'm kind of there myself to to an extent. I mean, I have some land, but not enough to like reasonably grow all the food that I would eat or have a surplus even. So I try to think, you know, what can I do, you know, both in a homesteading sense and in a, uh, even now, you know, in an, in an agorist fashion to make myself useful in the market. Um, one of the things and I know, I know people, this is where I first heard it. I'm sure someone else has said it, but this is where I heard it. So I'm going to bring up your your favorite neocon, Benny Shapshap. Um, <laughs> the, you know, he once described capitalism as free markets as forced altruism, because you do not get what you want unless you figure out how to provide someone else what they want. You know, when it comes to trade, I mean, if you can be self sufficient and island to yourself, then you know have at it but a lot of us can't do that we can't produce everything that we want and need so we have to go find people that can produce the things that we want and need uh which means we have to figure out what what they want you know and we have to to say all right well i need to be able to provide something of value in the market and this is where like people who are involved like i think the people who are going to have it roughest if we ever have to transition to a post-state society or those involved in government work because you know or or anything related to that you know it's like if 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 what you're doing and the skills you are trained in don't translate without a state uh you know time to start thinking about that because you need to be able to have some sort of skill set and i mean not to say that you know if 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 your skill set is i i'm you know I'm a young, strong person and I'll go work in a factory or go, you know, just just work work on a farm and and just, you know, my skill set is I'll just work very hard with my body. Like, okay, like that's that's an option. And it, it, that's that's not even a bad option, I'm saying. But you need to be thinking about that and thinking, you know, am I physically able to do that? Because everyone's at different phases in their life, someone in their fifties or their forties, or someone who has you know, various health conditions or whatnot, you know, might be like not, you know, either a preference that would lead them not to want to do a lot of physical labor, um, or maybe they're just not able to do that much physical labor. So you need to be thinking about, you know, A, how much can I provide for myself? And that's the homesteading part of it. And then the agorist part is, what skills do I have to bear into the market that can be used uh, to either barter or used to uh, obtain some kind of, you know, currency that's not, you know, the dollar. And yeah, you have to be thinking about that. And I'm yeah. not saying it's an easy calculation, but it, it, it's it's those are calculations and 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 things we need to be thinking about now. And the more you, and this is where agorism and homesteading are, you know, it's kind of like a synergistic thing. I think if libertarians, people who are liberty minded started kind of focusing on that more and more, you know, trying to figure out how to, you know, shore up their home and, you know, also figure out how to 
engage in the world without the state more and more. You know, again, it's you don't have to do it all at once. Just you know, pick one little thing, and it's like you know, hey, I'm going to try to find, uh, like like think like here's an easy one: eggs. Instead of going to the grocery store and buying eggs, find someone who, uh, locally who produces eggs. Mm-hmm. You know, try to see if you can trade crypto for eggs. You know, yeah. I mean, I should I should do that right now. I should uh, when this is over. I should send you crypto. <laughs> Send you some Bitcoin for a dozen eggs, and I'll come pick them up <laughs> next week. Oh, QR code view my wallet. Man. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, it's like that's a little thing, but the more we start doing that, you know, to, to me, that is, you know, every little thing we do that doesn't involve the state is a victory, and and to me, that is that is the beauty of of agorism is 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 living out libertarian principles and saying we can. We can exchange and interact in a vibrant market without the state. And if yeah. we if we think we have to end the state to start doing that, I think that's a flaw in our thinking and kind of like part of our conditioning that we still haven't worked through. Yeah, and it's interesting because you're um, talking about like uh, building your own your skill set for a stateless society. It plays right into um I, it wasn't Konkin, but it was one of his his students um that he, they developed this whole class theory and i know i mean this is this is kind of the language of of the left or even marxist or leninist um like lenin talked about a, a you know the vanguard of the most class conscious people that would you know be the communist party on the total flip side of that, um, within agorism, there's this class theory where um, the bad guys are the are the statist capitalists, or or just the just the statists in general. They they work for the government. They make money through through coercive means through government. And then you know there's um, non-statist capitalists that um, holders of capital. Uh, they're, and they're not they're not class conscious, but they're not necessarily working for the government. And then it's the entrepreneurs that are, you know, the the top of that the class theory, the the innovators, the risk takers, um, the people that know the power of a totally freed market. That is that's how he breaks it down, and it nestles nicely into what you're talking about in terms of if if your only use if you're only the wealth that you generate is through, you know, being a part of the government, you know, without the government, you're going to have a rough time. Exactly. So yeah, it's, it, it, so it's, it, it, agorism is like, it, it's when, if, if someone asked, is it a philosophy or is it a methodology? It's like, yes, it is. It is literally both at the same time. And it's, it's pushing, I think it's pushing libertarians to live as libertarians, you know, to not just, you know, to make our principles matter and to say, like, even in, like, you know, from the little things we do in life to the big things, from, you know, buying a carton of eggs to what your uh, career is to where you live and how you come up, come about, the, you know, again, it's like we all have limitations as to what we can do now. 
I'm not trying to tell anybody to go out and make rash decisions, but, you know, just think about, you know, little ways that you can live outside the statist bubble and you'll be a ama- you'll be amazed at how quickly that can snowball and like you know that little you know it's almost like a drug with a little thrill of just doing a little thing outside of the statist world and then and then and then you're hooked and then you're looking for more and more ways that you can do that because you know freedom freedom feels good you know what i mean like doing something without like that constant like third party you know you know it's, it's like like if you were ever in a uh, school classroom with a very like uh, authoritarian teacher who was just like always watching everything you did, and and then like you get a one day the teacher's not there and you have a substitute and it's just like you, you feel like that burden lifting off of you or like you come home from school early if you have like really strict parents and you come home from school one day and your parents are like not home before you and you're like oh wow I have like an hour of freedom, not have someone constantly watching what I'm doing. You know, it's, it's similar to that. It's like, you know, normalize freedom, like, like, like make freedom something that is more and more something that you appreciate as a normal in your life and not just like this unobtainable goal. Like one thing you said in our our first conversation that I really liked was uh, like the libertarian sometimes can be too focused on, like asking to be free and the agorist comes along and says you're already free yeah like like you know in a, in not maybe in a consequential sense like you, you might not be able to avoid the consequences of all your action all, of all actions and you might have to from a from a sense of self-preservation you know like um if a mugger in a back alley puts a gun to my temple and asks for my wallet, you know, out of self-preservation, I might give him my wallet, but I'm not going to act like, uh, he earned my wallet and that it was the right thing to do to give him my wallet. And right. that, and I'm not going to normalize, you know, theft and I'm not going to normalize aggression. What I do want to normalize is, is living free and, and the principles that I espouse. And I think, you know, this kind of kind of relates to uh, you know we're both also Christians, and it kind of relates to like the whole like, idea that like uh, to you know to, to to preaching the gospel and going out there and and like telling people about your faith. It's not terrible, but what's more important is living that out and like letting people see Christ in your actions mm-hmm. and seeing the way you live as being different, and that applies to uh to christians in terms of you know how they live their lives uh, their testimony and their uh, evangelism and that applies to libertarianism it's like if, if you talk a good game about free market economics and stateless society but everything you do is by the books like a statist then people are going to be like well he talks a good game but he does everything the same way we do so you know it's not as compelling of an argument if someone isn't at least, you know, if there's ways you can avoid doing the state and you can push the envelope of avoiding the state in the here and now, uh, the more you do that, I think the the more the liberty movement can can pick up steam and bring more people in. I mean, I think we're in an interesting time right now where although there's still a lot of people out there who are maybe statists in a sense, there's not a lot of people out there who are re- really like 
licking the boot in the sense of like they don't recognize that it's a boot. Like it used to be that people would always view the state as a good. And now at least I think a majority of people have moved past the state as good to, well, the state is a necessary evil. So like they recognize it's a boot and that they're licking it, <clears throat> which is better than someone who's licking a boot and trying to tell you it's cake. But, uh, you know, now we have to convince people, hey, you know, yeah, you see it's a boot. Guess what? You, you don't need to you don't need to bend over and kiss it. You know, you don't you don't need to. <laughs> it's a boot. You're, you're trying to you're trying to make sure my video gets uh, uh, doesn't even get uploaded into YouTube. I get half I get halfway through and just get eradicated from existence. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um yes, I mean I think we've pretty much covered everything. Um you know, agorism is living in the in the gray market as much as you can, finding ways to uh be self-sufficient without the state and to interact with people without the state. And homesteading is an interesting uh, and synergistic uh, uh, libertarian concept as well that goes along with agorism. And those are things that I think we need to be pushing forward, uh, you know, in this post, uh, post-Trump, post-COVID world that we live in. That's, I mean, in a lot of ways is drastically different than what the world was 10 years ago or even two years ago. I mean, the world just feels drastically different. Um, I'm not like trying to predict like, you know, mountains are going to move in the next year. You know, for all I know, the next year or two might look like more of the same, but a mindset I think in people has shifted and the, the more consistently we can live out these principles um, and show them to people, the, the, better chance we have of actually seeing these principles in our society. Do you have any uh, closing thoughts? No, I, I um, like you said, there's many ways to, to do liberty. And I can't think of any other way for myself. I mean, there, you know, some people will, um, you know, invest in crypto. Some people will invest in uh, or, or get proficient at disruptive technologies like, you know, 3D printing, but, um, and I dabble in it. But, um, you know, the, the way my, my place at this time is, is through homesteading. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't fear civil war. I don't think it's coming. I don't want it to come. And the accelerationists, I mean, it's not, it, if it does come, it's not going to be fun. It's not going to be as fun as they think. And I just, I just want to be a peaceful guy living out my days on my on my farm and that's what I want. Amen, man. Anarcho anarcho Amish all the way, right? All the way. Yep. <laughs> all right, man. Well hey, thanks for uh thanks for doing this. I think this will be helpful for people. Uh have a good rest of your night, man. Stay safe. Thanks, Jacob. Take care now. Wanna get smarter about investing? Then tune in to the Capital Ideas podcast from Capital Group, home of American Funds Distributors, Inc., one of the world's leading asset managers. Each week, we bring you stock market outlooks, macroeconomic updates, and investment strategies that can help you succeed. Learn from portfolio managers with decades of experience 
about how they navigate uncertain markets. Prepare to be engaged, enlightened, and entertained by listening to the Capital Ideas Podcast today. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.